revolutionary period is very, very intriguing. Um, and I know many of you have uh, done that. You know, you've, you've tried to uh, stay in touch in that way. Um, the frustrating thing is, there's a lot of rewriting going on. A lot of rewriting of our history going on. And again, many of you are aware of that. Uh, we don't need to get into a lot of examples about that. Um, here this morning, I just basically want to, uh, you know, mention some things about uh, the revolutionary time and some of the things that built up there and some of the, the things that we uh, ought to really just uh, thank God for. There's so many, you know, we just sang that song, thank you know, thanking God for giving Jesus Christ. There's the culmination of our thanks. There's the culmination of our worship. It's in Christ, in Christ alone, right? But there's so many other things that have come about. And the forming of our nation, I, I am no professional at it, but it's just amazing, you know, thinking of what so many of those uh, men and women went through so that you and I could sit here right now and have this kind of a, a freedom. Okay. Um, now, we're going we're gonna to be looking at the passage that we just read, not right now, but in a little while, we're going to look at John chapter 8. Um, building up to it, we're going to look at a, a number of different verses. But I'd like to start with this. Dream with me a little bit here. Okay? I wonder where most Americans would be if we were, Star Trek-wise, transported back to 1770s. Would you be living in England or would you be saying, i got to get to America? And we'd all say, oh, yeah, well... I'd want to be getting to America. Really? Really? That's a challenge. There's a challenge that lies underneath that thought and that, that concept, if, if that were to ever happen. Because there was a demand that the people in America were going by this idea of self-government. And that was, the, that was one of the driving forces underneath it all, was that we need to have self-governing people. And versus, you know, versus what was going on in England with here's, here's the king, King George at the time, you know, and, and what he laid down. That was it. And there is no real vital participation there because why? The king, whatever he said, went. That's the way it went. And so, it's interesting to stop and think. Have I grown into one that loves freedom and liberty and self-governing? You know what I mean by self-governing? That you are, you're under, you know, freedom isn't just, you know, it's how, how do we define freedom? It's not just doing whatever you want to do. Is it? No. Freedom is to do the right things. Okay? 
So it's, it's a real challenge. And how is it that you and I are living now? How are we living now? And that's, that's a challenge for us because all too often we're, we're letting, what? We let the government call the shots. We're not as involved as we ought to be. And what was it all for? What was the, the whole thing of the revolution all about? Was, it's for the people. <laughs> Interesting things to give consideration to. Well, so here today, July 4th, 2010, we celebrate America's liberty, America's independence, all because of God and His sovereign control. Some might argue otherwise. Some might say it's, it's you know, we celebrate this, well, you know, people, you know, just didn't really follow Romans 13, and they didn't really submit to the king and all that, and so there's a lot of arguments out there. I realize that. But here is, you know, an, an understanding of how it came about and some of the quotes and some of the things written all point to, you know, here's, here's a sovereign God who is in control of things that brought this about. And not only his sovereignty, but another big word we throw around is his providence, especially, and that's one especially the founding fathers would mention a lot of the times, his providence it's because of his providence that this country came about. So it's, it's due to God first, but also to an unlikely host of heroes who risked or even lost their lives, their families, their fortunes, and their dreams for the cause of liberty <clears throat> and for you and I, <laughs> that you and I could enjoy it. And so um, the buildup of it all, <clears throat> excuse me, I mentioned a couple of mentioned last week that uh, there's a motto uh, that they had back in those days, um, and it, it was one of the flags, don't tread on me. And it was the, uh, the emblem of the rattlesnake. And there's a lot of symbolism with that rattlesnake, and you can look it up on your own if you want, um, but that phrase, don't tread on me, was uh, what, one of the motto, mottos for the time. Along with another motto that I wanted to mention, uh, no king but King Jesus, God. No king but King Jesus. <clears throat> if you need to be refreshed for it, go look at the little stool behind the drum set. It's got the saying right there on it. No king but King Jesus. I think Lynn Kinsell fixed that for us and put it on there. I think that's who it was. We'll have to check. Anyway, that's one, that was one of the, the rallying calls of the revolutionary time. No king but King Jesus. Okay. And after, you know, a, a quick review of some of the uh, reliable websites uh, regarding the, the revolutionary time, we see that not only the military people and the political leaders of the time would pass it on by word of mouth, but the writers and authors would write of it, and the, and the preachers would preach about it. And thus, uh, it kept this momentum of the, the revolutionary time going. No king, but King Jesus. Indicative of this kind of spirit, in 1775, 
there's a Lutheran pastor by the name of John Peter Gabriel Mullenberg who preached a sermon on Ecclesiastes 3.1. This is 1775. And the passage was, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Concluding the message, he declared, In the language of the Holy Scriptures, there is a time for all things. There is a time to preach and a time to fight. And now is the time to fight. He threw off his cloak and he walked out in his military outfit. He ended up joining the army under General George Washington's troops. He became the colonel of the 8th Virginia Regiment. Ministers turned the colonial resistance into a righteous cause and served at every level in the conflict. So I don't have that outfit today. I, I couldn't get my shirt around it or whatever, realizing I need to keep working out. <laughs> so lose some weight here. Anyway, um, not only that story, but um, some others. You know, when it's interesting, to, I, I'm just going to share a couple here of some of these stories. I, I hope they'll be of interest to you. I, I believe they will. First one is is once the uh, the treaty was signed with Great Britain in 1783. Interestingly, and this is from a book, uh, The Spiritual Heritage of America by David Barton. And he writes this. He says, Interestingly, even that peace treaty negotiated and signed by John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and John Jay, one of the Supreme Court members, reflects the strong religious sentiments of our founding fathers. For example, notice its opening declaration in this treaty. It said, In the name of the most holy and undivided trinity, Amen. And thus started the the wording of the treaty between the United States and Britain. And when the word of the signed peace treaty reached America... George Washington officially resigned as commander-in-chief. Now, Washington at that point, some of you might know, but I'll just say it for those that don't. Washington then sent a letter out to to the 13 governors and state legislators informing them of his resignation. In that letter, Washington rejoiced in America's recent successes and then closed his statement in his letter by offering this prayer for the states and their governors. Here's the prayer. I now make it my earnest prayer that God would have you and the state over which you preside in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to the government, to entertain a brotherly affection and a love for one another, for their fellow citizens of the United States at large, and particularly for their brethren who have served in the field. And finally, that he would most graciously, that's, he's saying God now, that God would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that character, humility, and temperament of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, 
without an humble imitation of whose example in these things we can never hope to be happy to be a happy nation. A, what he was basically saying there at the end would be that if this that if they don't imitate Jesus Christ, right? The divine author of our blessed religion. There's not going to be a prosperous, happy nation. Okay. George Washington. Here's a, a second one from John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams served as president. Then he served in the House of Representatives. And he was asked to give a speech, which most of his speeches ended up being sermons. And uh, in his speech, in, this is 1837 now, in 1837. He was uh, just about 69 years old. And on that Independence Day celebration, John Quincy Adams began his speech by asking two questions. First, he asked, Why is it, friends and fellow citizens, that you are here assembled? Why is it that entering upon the 62nd year of our national existence, you have honored me with an invitation to address you? And the answer was, he had been, he had been there. He was an eyewitness of it all. And then he asked the, the second question. Why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival occurs on this day? That is, why were Christmas and the 4th of July our two most celebrated holidays in America? And John Quincy Adams answered with these very words. He said, Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of, a, of the Savior? That it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission on earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government on the first precepts of Christianity? For well over an hour, John Quincy Adams continued his speech confirming that Christianity was not only the basis of, but the reason for our national independence. Okay, so we could go on and on with more um, readings like that. The point being is that we would recognize what these guys said and what they were thinking. Okay? Um, so, you know, in, in looking it over and studying it, I come to believe you know, that it never could have happened without the Spirit of God doing His work and that so many of the founding fathers attributed what happened to divine providence. God's provision. God's work. You know, it's like, again, here's... Um, you, you folks know this. It's, it's the little guy versus the big guy. The big guy's going to win. England. They're going to destroy us. What are we doing? <laughs> and yet... The founding fathers gave credit to divine providence for the, the victory over the big guy. Okay? 
So um, they had done their homework. They had studied hard. They had been educated. You know, some of these men uh, were educated and, and started so young in their, in their careers, in their speaking careers, in their, in their political careers. So this, this, going back to the motto, no king but King Jesus, gave uh, the small guy and the, the popular guy in the, in the colonies at the time a strong motivational truth to keep up the revolution, to keep it going. So some things that I'd like to you know, bring out now is what they learned from the scriptures because their idea of the Bible wasn't just to read it on Sundays. Their idea of the Bible was to be educated through the Word of God. Okay? Take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. So, our understanding of the true working of liberty or freedom starts with this axiom. If you want true liberty, you start with the one who gives true liberty. And that's God. And according to Psalm 2, it starts by acknowledging Him as the true King and paying homage to Him as the true King. So, Psalm chapter 2. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury. Verse 6, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. That's God speaking. God has installed His king. And it's the Messiah. Okay. Verse 10, he says, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, there's a lot of different uh, ways that it's mentioned here. But in the New American Standard, it says, Do homage to the Son. Any of you have other... Other translations that read differently? Gloria? Okay. And that's exactly what I wanted to have mentioned was, um, it says, kiss the Son. Kiss the Son, meaning Christ, the Messiah. Bow before Him. Recognize He is the King. Worship Him. Do homage to Him. Lest Look at verse 12. Lest He become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Okay? There's, there's one of the first sightings of... of here's, here's God's King. Psalm 24. Turn to Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is one of... Uh, the Psalms that forms a, 
a trio of psalms about the king. The first one is in Psalm 22, and then Psalm 23, the great shepherd, and then Psalm 24. We want to look at Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face, even Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Okay, And, and so it kind of repeats itself there as you finish it off. The King of glory, he's coming again. Okay, He came first as the servant king. Baby Jesus grew up, became the servant king. The theme of the Gospel of Mark. And now he will come again. The king of glory. Okay? So, um, there are many references in the Old Testament and and, uh, implications of the king. I'd like to ask if you turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. Go to Jeremiah chapter 10. Now, this is given in the midst of man's idolatry, man's worshiping false idols. And here's the Lord, and the word of the Lord being spoken. Jeremiah 10, starting at verse 2. Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be terrified by the signs of heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are, are delusion, because it is wood cut from the forest. The work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. Talking about a a, a handmade idol. Okay? You can do nothing. You know, he says in verse 5, They cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. Verse 6, There is none like thee, O Lord. Thou art great, and great is thy name in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of the nations? Here we go. Who's the king of the nations? It's Jesus, the Messiah, Israel's king, Israel's anointed one. Okay? This has been, here it is in the Old Testament, repeated time after time. A king is coming. He's coming. And when the king came, okay, it's Jesus. Here's the king. And he's not always recognized as the king, but he calls calls out his disciples. And he calls out the 12 disciples. He prays about that. He calls them. And one of them just happens to be not only Andrew, but Andrew goes to his brother and here's a great example for us believers Andrew goes to his brother and says hey Peter Simon Peter we have found the Messiah there was the key word 
we found the king. He's the anointed one, the son of David. He's the one greater than Solomon. We found him. Yes. Well, one of the disciples that came along was Simon, another Simon, Simon the the Zealot. You know what Simon the Zealot and his uh, guys were all about? When are you going to set up the kingdom, Lord? They were concerned about what they were under. They were under Roman rule, right? And they were, they were concerned about this. And Jesus didn't give them that. Jesus did not give them what they were looking for. They were followers. They were true followers, true disciples of the Lord. But they didn't get what they were asking for. They were saying, come on, when are we going to whip these Romans? Let's do it. And remember, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened? You know, here comes Peter. Peter launches off after the guy, tries to kill him. Malchus gets a healing right there from Jesus. Jesus puts his ear back on and heals him. You would have figured that they would have said, hey, there's something different about you. Maybe we shouldn't arrest you. (laughs) But they did. Because why? Here's God's plan. Here's God's sovereignty. Here's God's providence is that someone needs to die for the sins of mankind. And the will of man, here's Simon the Zealot, and here's Simon Peter also trying to push forth the will of man. Simon Peter says, Oh no, Lord, may it never be. And Jesus says to him, Get behind me, Satan. Here's the will of man. And just like Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot had, uh, you know, grandiose ideas about here's the, we're going to, we'll be under the, we'll be out from under the Roman rule. It'll be great. Okay. So, that's kind of the buildup. Now, with that in mind, I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. John chapter 18, starting at verse 33. Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So, you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And here's the one of the most amazing statements given 
when you consider what's going on in our world where there's, you know, the, the removal of God, trying to push God out and trying to deal with things on man-centered ways. Here, here it is, verse 38. Look at it. Verse 38. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And it's just a, you know, here's, here's a basically a representation of what we're seeing now. It's this ongoing issue. Well, it, you know, truth to you is not necessarily truth to me. It gets into this, you know, relativism, right? And Jesus, we have to remember, it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. He was pointing to himself. He wasn't pointing to a system of religion. He was pointing to himself. Okay? So, with that in mind, I want to take you back to John chapter 8. Okay? John chapter 8. See, he said, my follow, it's, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. If it would have been, my, my followers would be fighting. And you say, well, you know, that's why we shouldn't do any war or any fighting, why Christians shouldn't do that, because of what Jesus said. But we're not taking into, into the whole perspective the, the Word of God and what it's saying. Jesus later on said, take up your swords and go. Okay, not to necessarily go warring like in the old days of the Crusades. That was way overboard. If you're, if you're a historian, you understand. The Crusades were done just to wipe people out to get to a, a physical place, Jerusalem. <laughs> and it was totally off base. And, you know, it gets into all sorts of issues about here's swords and guns and, you know, all the, here's all the wars and such. Why is it that we have it? Well, because of sin, right? So I, I want you to take a look here at John chapter 8. And with this, we'll transition into our communion time. John chapter 8, starting at verse 31. And Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in me, I'm sorry, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, this is what we need to hear, is what Jesus is talking about regarding what it really means to be free. We can study about the revolution, and we can study about our American history, and yet still be enslaved. And it might be that you are here this morning and that you are enslaved and you're not really free at all. We've got to get our thinking straight from the Word of God. And so Jesus says, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered Him and said, Well, we are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say we shall become free? And you say in your seat right there, you say, wait a minute. The Jews are saying they've never been enslaved to anyone? Baloney! They're enslaved right now at that present moment. When he said it, they were enslaved by the Romans. What's he talking about? These Jews, are no, they're not dummies. 
the Pharisees, they were not dummies. They understood things. And what does he mean then that we have never yet been enslaved to anyone? Well, it obviously wasn't political, national kind of thought process. This is more of a, here's a spiritual thing. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Here's our self-sufficiency. Isn't that the case with the Jews? Isn't that the case with Americans? Yeah. That's the problem. See, Jesus was getting at a deeper problem than meets the eye. And folks, listen, that's the constant thing that we have to be looking at in Scripture is what's underneath the surface here because I read it and I I just kind of look at, you know, I just look at the surface of things. Let's carry on with this reading. Jesus, in verse 34, answered saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. That's what he's getting at. There it is. It's a matter of the heart. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Okay. So it starts with believing. Being free. It starts with believing. And believing is fed by what? Continuing in his word. Your belief is fed by that, continuing in the Word. If you don't continue in the Word, you won't have your faith grow. You must continue in the Word so that... Here here it starts with belief. And grow by continuing in the Word. And then by continuing in the Word, what will result? You'll know the truth. And then what? And the truth shall make you free. And what is it regarding? It's regarding the things hidden in your heart. Your sin. My sin. Okay? Ray Steadman says this. Truth is... Or said this. He's now with the Lord. (laughs) Ray Steadman said this. Truth is the nature of things as they really are. Truth is seeing through all the illusions, the dreams, the fantasies, the wishful thinking, all the facades and all the, um, the unreal images, and getting down to the heart, the core, the reality, which, that, which is, that which really is. That's the truth. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You will be living as you should be, in God's eyes. So, the truth will set you free. It will deliver you. The truth will permit you to be all that you are meant to be. Look at it this way. Flip it around in, in your thoughts here. Flip it around and ask this. What keeps you from being all that you were meant to be? Here we get practical. What is it that keeps you from being all that you could be? You know what one of the number one things is? Fear. It's not necessarily with everyone. But it's fear in one form or another. Fear. And all too often, I mean, we're not talking about fear of God, a good fear. We're talking about fear of man. Fear of, um, well, I'm not, uh, whatever it might be, self-image. I, you know, I fear the, how I'll be perceived. 
And what's behind that fear? Pride. Pride is behind it. And all sorts of things come bubbling up from that. Worry, depression, anger. What keeps you from being all that you can be? That's something that you need to spend time with the Lord in, in dealing with. Okay, that, That's what I need to do. So, what, he, what Jesus is giving us here in John chapter 8 is, here's man's problem. Here's man's problem, here's Israel's problem, and here's America's problem. And you say, hey, what do you, how'd you get that? Well, I did some quantum leaps there. I know. But this is the problem that plagues mankind and its self-sufficiency. Israel had it all together. They, had, they were God's people, right? They, had a, you know, they, they were the nation that was supposed to spread the gospel. Right? But they rejected who? The king. They rejected the Messiah. And here we got to start. We, um, historians call America not necessarily the, the culmination of everything because America was not the culmination of everything. America was just another link in the chain that God was bringing about. And God allows tests to happen. And how has America functioned in the tests? Eventually, let's just get rid of school prayer. That's going to be offensive to people. Let's get rid of the Ten Commandments because that's going to be offensive to people. And let's have, you know, a really, you know, democratic kind of approach. But you know what? Underneath it all, America is a republic. And we respond to the laws. You know, we're driven by the laws. Here they are. And so that we, all of us, no matter what skin color, no matter what race or whatever, all of us can have a part in the process. Right? And so somewhere along the line, the gospel chain was broken. The gospel chain was not continued on. Not to say that everyone back there in the 1770s, that everyone was a believer in Jesus Christ. We're not saying that. We're just saying that here, here's this process. Here's a nation that's been founded and grounded in Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian principles. And now, how things have changed. And how godly things have been removed from our eyes. Godly things have been removed from educational institutions. And so on and so forth. So, how is it that you're doing you know, with this idea of real freedom? Real liberty? Do you understand it? Do you know that it's, it starts with Jesus Christ, the true King, the King of kings, the King of the nations, the King of Israel? Is He the King of your life? As we continue on to our communion time, listen, knowing the true King is the start of true freedom. And it's freedom from what? 
freedom from the greatest enslavement that could ever be, and that is sin. Okay? Jesus is the one that provides that. Um, I have a book here that is about one of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. And it was given to me by a friend here in Fallon. Um, John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon was one of the men that signed the Declaration of Independence. And so in this book, it gives an essay about his life, but then it gives about two um, written messages or sermons that he delivered. Um, I'd like to read a portion of one of them for you. This is, uh, um, again, here's, here's one of the men that signed the Declaration of Independence speaking to us. And the title of this message, I'm, I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs here. The title of this is The Dominion of Providence Over the Passions of Men. And by the way, John Witherspoon lost his 25-year-old son in the war, in the Revolutionary War. He says, Suffer me to beseech you, or rather to give you warning, not to rest satisfied with a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. There can be no true religion till there be a discovery of your lost state by nature and practice and an unfeigned acceptance of Christ Jesus as He is offered in the Gospel. Unhappy they who either despise His mercy or are ashamed of His cross. Believe it. There is no salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved unless you are united to Him by a lively faith, not the resentment of a haughty monarch, but the sword of divine justice hangs over you, and the fullness of divine vengeance shall speedily overtake you. I do not speak this only to the heaven-daring profligate or groveling sensualist, but to every insensible, secure sinner, to all those however decent and orderly in their civil deportment, who live to themselves and have their part and portion in this life, in fine, to all who are yet in a state of nature, for except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The fear of man may, the fear of man may make you hide your profanity. Prudence and experience may make you abhor intemperance and riot. And as you advance in life, one vice may supplant another and hold its place, but nothing less than the sovereign grace of God can produce a saving change of heart and temperament or fit you for His immediate presence. Um, there, there are so many other wonderful statements in what he shared, but we'll leave it for now. Um, what I'd like to do is, is encourage you as we uh, prepare our hearts for communion now. It all starts with what John Witherspoon was saying. There's got to be a, 
and acceptance of Christ, the acceptance of the gospel of God in your life.